Welcome to the Imperfectly Perfect Campaign, sharing real-life stories from real people to unite them in global change for the face of mental health. We will also reduce the stigma, creating communication, healing, and awareness to save lives and inspire. Join us weekly as we talk to some of the highly acclaimed faces, influencers, experts, and others who have been through extreme adversity. All right, guys, so welcome to another episode of the highly acclaimed Imperfectly Perfect podcast. And today we're carrying on the rounds over in the UK with a special guest. So from Hollyoaks to Hollywood and beyond, Paul Danan is an actor born and raised in Essex, shooting to fame on the hit UK hit soap Hollyoaks as Saul Patrick, later going on to star in several more shows, including the reality series Celebrity Love Island and Celebrity Big Brother, then taking to the stages in theatre productions. He hosts the incredible podcast The Morning After with Paul Danan and has just finished wrapping up on a film, The Living Dead and a play called Time. And I'm so glad to have him on the show today to hear about his very personal journey with his mental health, addiction, and ADHD. So first and foremost, welcome to the show, Paul. Hey, thanks so much for having me, man. I really appreciate it. And it was only because I got diagnosed with ADHD after not knowing what I suffered with mentally, like um, uh, that, that I started to get better. And and that's the thing, when you're undiagnosed, it's really kind of um, a tough thing to live with because, you know, I, I just didn't understand what was going on really with me and why I couldn't deal with certain things. And when tr- I tried to handle too many things at once and never really finished anything, it all got too much. And the only way to kind of calm myself was to to use uh, drugs or to have a little drink. Um, and you know, I, I mean, it says alcoholic, but really addict is, is what I what I am uh, in recovery. Um, I was never an alcoholic. I never had, um, you know, problems with alcohol, um, even though I, that's kind of like when I did drink, it, it kind of wasn't the way I wanted to perceive myself because, you know, drink doesn't really suit me. Um, but I never drank every day or drank all the time like I did with drugs Mm. like so drink was you know if there was a choice what to spend my money on it certainly wouldn't be drink it would be drugs um and there were times where I didn't drink for months and months and months but that was different with with using um and but that the reason I say addict is because addiction is such a a broad thing and it has so many hats you know there are probably Gabriel Mate says um nearly as many addictions as there are people um uh you know I I have an addictive personality and anything I like I want more of um and that's the th- the problem that sometimes they can be bad things that I like <laughs> or like you know and and then until they turn on or turned on me and turn on us that are addicts and and when they stop working and they just like start to not do what they used to do uh, that's when there's real real you know uh consequences and um damage to family members um and to friends and to relationships and especially to myself you know and um and it's it's sad, you know, uh, I struggle a lot around other addictions because it doesn't mean once you get rid of the drink and the drugs or or the gambling or the, you know, um, compulsive shopping or whatever, um, that things don't still pop up, you know, um, and they do, but like, so yeah so mainly when when the drink and the drugs go away the shopping comes up mm-hmm. and then when that's kind of like doesn't really give me what i want then girls will pop up and then if their relationships aren't really what i want then it's it's like you know someone else food will pop up and you know and it's like what it tries to do the addiction is is or the the illness the disease it's because i'm at this ease with myself so like i i'm not at ease but the ease and comfort of a drink or a drug makes me go oh, like finally i can relax now 
you know, and most people would think that on cocaine you can't really relax, but when you're ADHD, that's what it does. It chills you out, it chills me out, you know, and I have to speak for the eye from the eye because if I don't, then I'm talking for others and maybe others won't have the same, uh, you know, um, story or same uh, experience. But the fact is, it's like, um, and it's hard to speak from the eye all the time because, you know, there are many people like me. So when I got diagnosed with ADHD, I was like, well, okay, finally, that kind of makes sense. It's like I'm bouncing off these walls. And then when I take cocaine or have a joint or something, that suddenly I feel at ease. I'm not my i'm not at this ease mm. you know so my disease is kind of um you know as much as it's in full force it's it's uh it, it's it's kind of chilling <laughs> so it's like it's happy yeah. you know and then when i'm without anything because it was my solution you know that was my solution and 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 so when i turned to it it was like medication for me you know i was medicated i was numb so but the problem was is that when without it i was at disease i wasn't at ease at all i was all over the shop because i didn't know what i suffered from i didn't know what was going on i knew i was an addict but i didn't know about this adhd i didn't know why i was bouncing off the walls and i couldn't kind of concentrate on one thing and when i tried to kind of make everyone happy and be like superman here there and everywhere in a million different places at once and that doesn't work that's not possible so i'm letting people down so i feel guilty i feel you know i feel shame around that i feel like bad and and and, you know like shame is like i'm bad guilty is like um I did something wrong, but I'm not a bad person. I think so. Anyway, there's a difference between guilt and shame. And, um, you know, and, and like, so I have to get rid of I'm a bad person because I'm not. Shame is like, you know, it's very toxic sometimes. And it can, what it can do is make me go into self pity, which then on those feelings makes me want to use because it numbs my feelings. So it's a vicious circle. And, you know, but, 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 you know, when there's guilt there and when there's kind of like, oh, I've done wrong, you know, it's like I can do something about that. I can make amends and I can sort it out. So, yeah, so I don't I don't want to like, um, yeah, I, I, when I'm all over the place and I kind of don't really know how to handle it, the only way is to kind of have something. But when that stops working, then you're it's like, can we swear? Yeah, yep. <laughs> they fucked. Yeah. And it's like, what? The one thing I went to that was kind of doing the trick has now stopped working. So when I got diagnosed ADHD, I, I didn't really know what that was, but I kind of was like, it makes sense. And then there's that whole thing of finding out what that what ADHD really is. Some people are ADD, which is attention deficit disorder, and some people are ADHD, which is attention hyperactive uh, AD, uh, attention deficit hyperactive disorder and I was the ADHD so always a bit hyper but I just thought that was my personality I thought my mum was like that like but you know my mum handles it she don't have to take drinking drugs or anything like that she just handles it by just being her and like it kind of works I mean maybe there's times where it doesn't but she would really admit that you know but what it was it almost a sense of relief when you did find out there was something behind it? Yeah, definitely. And I just thought, you know, I was angry that all these treatment centres I'd gone to, and this is why there were so many. Why didn't they ever just test me for it? Why didn't they help me around that? Why didn't they go, you know what, this guy, surely there's a bit of ADHD that maybe this is the underlying cause to this addiction and why it keeps using keeps coming back to rehabs and we but you know why because they're businesses and they want you to keep coming back they want your money but at the same time they also want to see you well and you know being a celebrity or whatever an actor i hate the word celebrity but being in the public eye they kind of like wanted me to be the one to say their treatment center got me well you know so like i could go yeah go to this place because it got me well but you know the truth is you're only ready when you're ready but i was always ready i just didn't know 
how to handle life on life's terms when I left being ADHD. Because mm. suddenly my mum wants to know this and my girlfriend wants this and my little boy and my work. And then I'm trying to juggle everything and I'm untreated. So, you know, it takes a while to get the medication right and to know. And the one thing that was scary is, is that there's certain medication out there, like kids that get given this Adderall, whatever. I don't know. When I was a kid, so all these years, when I was a kid, I must have had it. Like, you know, like, um, I just, yeah, all these years, it was untreated. So, like, it's dangerous to, because especially knowing knowing I'm an addict, to, to have something that might be addictive and might be kind of then make me even worse, you know. And then what it does is it starts off the phenomenon of craving. So yeah. once you put one in you, like when, once you put one drink or one line or one spliff in you, you want another one. That I want another one. Addicts want, they can't just have one. Mm. You know, they say one's too many, a thousand never enough. And that's the truth. You know, it's like, I will party, I will take your drink, your line, his line, his drink, you know, until everyone, I've got everyone's, and then I'll go home on my own and order more. Like, that's how, you know, it's really severe stuff. You know, when you cross that invisible line of socially doing it, suddenly it becomes on my own, like, you know, like really sad stuff. And that is when it's just like, there's something seriously wrong here, but you can, I could never, and you can never go back to the way it was when I was a kid raving and socially and having a great time. It always becomes like, it might start like that for like the first 10 minutes and the next minute it's like, right, I'm going to, I'm going to quickly get that and grab his and then I'll like, and then I'll go and I just leave and then I'm on my own. I'm thinking, why did I do that? I missed out on a great evening with these normal, not normal, but these people that can take it or leave it. They were having a great time. Now I'm on my own, but my head will tell me this is so much more fun, but it's not. It's just, and I know it sounds really greedy, but it's not. It's a real illness. It's really severe, you know, to the point where I'm thinking that people are knocking on my door and, you know, coming to get me when they're not really there and that's psychosis. And that's just when it's, it's not good. And, do I feel chilled out then? No, not really. But the, my best thinking is have another one. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. You know, it's really, really like, you know, it's a very dangerous situation because that could one could be too many and my heart or whatever, or my brain could just be like gone. And now, you know, and you know, we know what happens, you know, people die. This is, this is, this is uh, life or death stuff. So getting the medication for the ADHD was, you know, I didn't, I was like saying to the psychiatrist, like, please, I don't want um, anything addictive. I I really don't want a stimulant even. I just want something that's just going to make me able to kind of handle things and concentrate. And you know what? There was one that was okay, but in the end, it didn't really work. And in the end, I had to kind of give in to my, this mental illness and, and actually throw my hands up and go, okay, let's try one. Not, not, not addictive, but a stimulant. Because if, if, if I if be honest, that's the thing that calms me. So I, um, I did try one and it's really been amazing. It's changed me so much. It's, it also works in the neuro pathways where cocaine works. So what it does is it, it, it it stops me craving and it also calms me and it also allows me to concentrate on important things that I could never really concentrate on before and, and prioritize and, and, and it helps me listen and focus. And it just has been wonderful. I mean, and you know, like it doesn't have to be forever. It might only be for a year or two. But at least I found something that finally, you know, has worked. And, you know, and I feel really grateful for that. So I'm sorry if I've waffled on, but it's a really important thing. It is. It is. And that's what I absolutely love. And like I was saying, I've I've listened to so many episodes of your podcast now. And it's these hard conversations that need to be had. We need to address them so that people can understand. And I think as humans, I say this all the time we judge whether something's good or bad. We're conditioned that way. We just need to be more mindful because everyone's got a story. And unless we've walked a mile in someone's shoes, we, we don't know. Yeah. So I think if we check, we take it back. So I think it's highly important that, but what you was touching upon there 
to say that you was dealing with all this and then suppressing emotions, almost like putting everything on top when everyone's asking you questions, yeah. to throw fame on top of it as well. How oh, do no. you want to deal with that? Because the media, I mean, you're, you're probably from my generation, like Holly Oaks, we spoke about it before. Yeah. And I used to watch it, my, my Sunday omnibus, my hangover, <laughs> like watching Come it. down mate. TV. Exactly, mate. And um, how did you cope with that? Because when you was all over the media for, for partying and all this kind of stuff, and what you're dealing internally, but then trying to mask it externally, and then the media retention, like, is that just sure. a bubble, a, a recipe for disaster? It was, and do you know what my outlet was, was filming, was actually playing Soul, playing the character that actually was pretty like a guy that I thought, wow, I'll never get to do things like this, like run from the police, crash cars, um, like, you know, um, be homeless and, you know, all that stuff. And, and actually, you know, it's funny how life, you know, God or something's got a bit of funny sense of humour that I ended up kind of you know pretty much homeless and stuff like that not not completely but nearly you know there was a week or so where i had nowhere to go you know and it was it was it was scary man and there was times where i was in trouble with the police like soul was so like all this time and i was 17 no 19 20 20 playing this character i thought i'll never be like him i'll never get to do this shit but actually, you know, years later, I actually ended up doing that stuff. And like, so, but, but my outlet was playing a character and being in doing something artistic that I loved. And that's what's the flip side to ADHD. Like, even though it can cause untreated, uh, it can be the, the underneath of addiction, like the first layer of it, of what could cause the stress and the, the, the kind of all over the shot stuff and then letting people down and being late and scatty and a bit kind of clumsy. And I used to think I was accident prone, but I deep down knew I wasn't. I just didn't know why I was knocking things over and, you know, and being like, and literally like crashing car. Like, you know, I just, my head couldn't concentrate or like why I couldn't read a book or like I can. And then I realized I read a book that I loved and I read it really quickly. But like, if there was a page, even two pages or a page, even a page of something that I wasn't interested in, it would take me a year to read. Yeah. But like, if it was a book that I really loved, I'd get it done within a few weeks. Like, that's mad. But I thought I just didn't like books. <laughs> like, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't. So anything I'm interested in. So the good thing with soul and with stuff like that. Like, it was like, I really was interested in that. So I can focus my attention. I can become obsessed with something that I like, like addicted to. And that's why ADHD and addiction are so interlinked because they have that kind of like, you know, what you like, you want more, you do more and you focus more on. But what about all this other like kind of mundane life stuff that's really important to do, like bills and yeah. Kind of, you know, like, I don't know, stuff that, yeah, everyone has to do in life. <laughs> that, I was like, no, no, I can't do that. don't know how to do that because I wasn't interested in it, you know. So, like, with acting, there's uh, what's great about ADHD is it's so um, art, uh, creative, you know. Like, like, I come up with these great ideas and, like, I really want to, but, like, actually the writing of the ideas, like, you know, oh, send us an email, they say. Oh, no, can't I just tell you? Like, the, the last thing I want to do is slow type. Like, as much as the idea is really, you know, what I love, and, like, it's really hard to, like, that's the stuff that I'm, so I'm not the technical, but I'm the creative, you know. So, like, now I have, like, a PA, and he, like, types everything, and I just leave him voice notes. And I think, I think thank God, you know, like, and, and so it's it's really kind of works in funny ways. So when so answering that question, I suppose there was a way I could deal with my ADHD back then, which was throw myself into the acting side of things. Um, but then when it was obviously, um, yeah, uh, too much, um, yeah, I, I I I just resulted in as it said, like with your intro, like I smoke a joint, or I'd go and just like. Um, shag a bird or you know i just do something for a release you know a fix how do the i i've always wondered this question because the media that 
they're amazing for what they do, but they've also got a way to change the narrative around somebody, like programs, everything. How does that make someone feel where it's kind of out of their control? Because as someone trying to be in control and trying to get their thoughts together and going through addiction and trying to go through recovery and therapy, and then that narrative around their character, so to speak, is being changed, and then people are coming up to you. And someone said yeah. it once, um, a character over here on Home and Away, and it was like, the first time I realized it, I went to an event, and people were coming up to me, but they weren't coming to see me. They were coming to see a character. And I found yeah. that really hard to disassociate from because they were judging me based on a character. So I suppose oh, you've done two flips, haven't you? You've done TV and then reality. So yeah. was reality a way for you to flip that on its head and change the narrative through Celebrity Big Brother and say, no, this is me. I'm going to show you my narrative. Yeah, it was a really good question. It's a really good subject because, you know, there's a couple of parts to it. And the first part is people will go, oh, my God, you were so horrible, like, to Jack and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, man, it's not me. It's a character, dude. Like, I'm acting. Like, you know, but they take it really seriously. And I know a lot of people on soaps and shows, like, get that from fans. Like, whoa, you were, like, well out of order there. And it's like, man, I, I, it wasn't me. <laughs> like, that just shows that my acting's pretty good, you know. Um <laughs> So then, and then, you know, and then there's this, this kind of the, the reputation where the media, right, and people would kind of go, oh, it's him, right? you know, that guy that got done for whatever or, you know, but then they'd be really excited to see you, but then, I don't know, like, whatever. And they judge, you know, and people judge and, you know, they believe what they read. They read a headline, they don't actually read the rest of the story, you know, and, and, and the thing is, a lot of, like, the articles or whatever, you know, um, tabloids came out or had come out, you know, they're trying to sell papers, but if you actually read the article, like you get the real story rather than the headline, because the thing is, the headline, they can say whatever they want, but when it's actually, like, the actual piece, it's only, uh, I don't know if people know, but I'm sure most do, but I don't know if all public knows, is that the only time it's in quote means that you actually said it. It has to be in quote, otherwise you can sue the hell out of them. So, like, but people don't look at that and people just read, a friend said, uh, an insider's, you know, and it's all just, oh, really? So there's there's been a lot, you know, I got I got hacked, you know, there was a whole Levinson inquiry. I totally, like, you know, my parents got, like, you know, it was a nightmare. So they were making up stories left, right and centre, listening to my phone calls and all that, you know, when the news of the world was was out and, you know, that's been closed down. But really, was it? Because then it was just the sun on Sunday, you know, uh, or whatever. And, yeah, it's really tough stuff. You know, you talked about the overdose and, you know, I OD'd and I didn't even know what, I'd really taken at the time and um, I certainly didn't know what was in it uh, or that strong. I kind of, I knew it was something to come down with and I didn't know how to take it. And, you know, you don't snort plumbing that type of stuff. And, um, you know, the next day it was like, you know, I'd OD and I was like, how the hell did that, that quick get out? And I hadn't told anyone I was blooming in intensive care. So yeah. I was, it weren't me. But like, you know, you think, fucking hell, the nurses or the ambulance men, one of them phoned the Daily Star. Like, what, like, why would people do that? And then for them to just ruin you, you know, and they camp outside your house when you're dying, or like mentally ill. And like, and this is the thing, it's just got to stop, like this kind of, and I think they know now that, you know, there's um, enough people are, are dead and are dying or have, are really struggling with this stuff that, you know, they have to go easy on us now. Like, you know, it's, it's not right. It's, it's, it's serious. And so, but then going back to kind of the going on the, the, the reality shows, you know, I'd been in LA and I was living there for three years and, you know, it was tough, but I was young and, I got a really good manager who manages or managed uh, James Gandolfini, Tony Soprano, and like, you know, God rest his soul, another man that died from addiction. And um, and I knew him, Jim was, he was a great guy, you know, I'll never forget the time. I mean, it's on one of my podcasts when he came to London and I, I showed him a good night out, basically. And, uh, you know, walking around town with, with Tony Soprano is pretty, pretty amazing. <laughs> and uh 
everyone parted ways like, whoa, look at that. It's like fucking The Sopranos is a big... Uh, do, have you ever seen it? You know The Sopranos? Yeah. So uh, it was it was, it was, was, was amazing. But that man was, you know, he was an animal. The geezer loved cocaine. And he loved his food and he loved his booze and he loved his part, you know. And I was in the thick of it at the, yeah, as well. We were doing a movie together which actually in the end didn't happen. But like Mark, my manager is just like, you know, he, I'd, I'd been on love, just done the first celebrity love island, I think at that time. And, you know, everyone was looking at me, the guy from the reality show, which I became more famous from in six weeks than I did in four years on Hollyoaks. Like that's how, major that show was a major reality tv started to become because suddenly i was this guy that went on this show like that was coming off a lot of drugs in front of the nation but didn't know that i suffered with adhd didn't know i was an addict didn't know i was gonna feel real fucking craziness and didn't know that they were gonna give me loads of alcohol and that was gonna actually react to me quite badly i was going to react badly from it because booze wasn't really the thing i went to so i never really had only booze i'd be like oh i was a stoner i was like i kind of you know but when that's all that's there and you don't know i didn't know how else to handle my pain or my feelings because i'd been in la and i'd been there for three years and i had a lot of rejection you know i had a lot of because you can't party and make it in LA as a Hollywood actor you just can't it just doesn't go hand in hand maybe back in the day it was more acceptable but if you want to compete against the big guys you know it's it's not you can you've got to show up and you've got to be on your game and you know I was young and I thought I could get away with both and the more I got rejected rejected the more I needed to numb that you know with with whatever it was and um so when they, when I thought, you know, when I didn't get the roles I wanted, I got very close to a few. I got one that was massive with Steve Martin and then it got taken away from me because Ashton Kutcher went, yeah, I'll do it. Um, because it was the director that he worked on, um, just married with Brittany Murphy on and he bumped into him just as we were going to shoot. And the director said, oh, Ashton, I've just hired this English guy for like the, to play the boyfriend of, uh, uh, I can't remember the name, but anyway, the, 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 one of the daughters of Steve Martin in, in Cheaper by the Dozen. That's what the film was. Um, how are you? You know, they had just done Just Married before Cheaper by the Dozen was started filming. And, and he was like, good. And he was like, look, I've got this English guy. He's really funny. You know, the accent's quite cool but like obviously he's not really known do you want to do it and he went well let me read it and he was like look you know what i'll do you a favor ashton said to this guy i i found out everything because they really explained it to me like this is what kind of it didn't make me feel any better at all yeah you know it's my first big role i'm like mom i'm gonna be on a you know (laughs) and how big has that film become cheaper by the does it you know and uh, because it's about kids and it's 12 kids and it's, it's like amazing you know and Ash was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do, you know, to the director. And the, and the director phoned me and said, listen, I'm, I'm sorry, man, but we're, we're going with Ashton, like, you know, but next time. And I was like, okay, no problem. You're right. And then the, what's the first thing I did when I got off that phone call? You know, I rolled a big fat joint. I went out and fighted and, you know, to drown my sorrows, you know, I was, I was gutted. And then the more, you know, as I said, once you put one in, the more I was off and running with that addiction that I didn't even know I had, the more I was turning up not on my game. And then then the more rejection, the more not on my game. And it's that that that, you know, hamster wheel that I couldn't get off. So I finally got back to London and and I'm like, shit. And like my mom's like, you look like three stone uh, thinner. Um you you're more tanned, but you spent like God knows how many thousands of pounds. Where's the work? What's going on? I'm like, I've got to go back. I've got to go back. You know, because I was just like obsessed with getting it. I have to fulfill this dream. And it just, in the end, it just got worse and worse until my mom said, enough. You are not going back now. Enough. You know, that was three years. 
and it could have, you know, it could have been devastating because also I was very lonely. I didn't have my family and my friends there. So I came back and, and, and there was like this new thing called reality TV. And they were like, yeah, you just got to be you. You just go on an island and there's really fit girls and we'll give you like 50 grand. And I'm like, shit, I need that. I've just spent loads of it. <laughs> you know, all my Hollyoaks money and blah, blah, blah. Okay. You know, and, you know, and then all there is is alcohol. I remember getting to Fiji and, like, just going, I need some weed. And, like, buying, like, these sacks, black sacks of, of like, of, of weed. Like, these huge, like, bin bags. You know, of just these twigs and these... But it was... I didn't care, you know. It, it was, like, you know, grown in the bush, you know. And, uh, and they were like, you can't take that on the show, you know, Paul. You've got literally another two hours to get, you know. And they, they didn't care. They were just like, whatever's going to get him on the show. You know, which, again, is like, whoa this guy's not well maybe they should have looked at that you know but but uh, you know when you're young you still look good and you're still kind of like no man i'm fine you know and and you know you're their commodity you're their kind of you know they're, they're trusting in you to, to to make this show and man did they do a good signing because you know I got on there and, you know, without me, and it's the truth, and I don't big myself up, that show would never be what it, what it was. It was it was ridiculous because of my behaviour. You know, I was all over the girls. The minute I had a drink, I was crazy as anything. And it was TV gold for them, causing fights with, like, huge guys like Fran Cosgrove, you know. Like, what was, you know, little me going out against this huge fucking guy that had muscles like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I didn't give a fuck, you know, because I was drunk. But that's the thing, is that's not me. You know, like, alcohol is, is, is not, doesn't suit me. I was this chilled stoner, boy, chilled, you know, but I couldn't have that. And um, so, so was I me? Oh, God, I've gone on such a, but was I me? I wanted to be me on there. But in the end, I was still a character. I was a sick me. I wasn't a well me. Yeah. But I didn't know that I wasn't well. You know, and I talk about it and people, so I had to crawl at the first two nights. I crawled to the diary room, to the to the beach hut, which was like the diary room in Big Brother, like shaking, literally. And they said, right, stop the cameras. Like they couldn't use it, obviously. They didn't want to. Like, and I didn't know what was going on with me. And I was obviously withdrawing. You know, I was withdrawing from the drug, you know, and I was like, what's going on? Like, literally, but they didn't say a word to no one. They kept me on. They just gave me some Valium. I had a sleep, and the next day I woke up. No one knew everyone was fast asleep, and it was happening. But I literally thought I was dying. And, you know, did they did they kind of go, like, Paul, we don't think this is good for you, this show, or, like, maybe you need some help. You know, they knew what was happening with me, but they just you know gave me more drugs to come off drugs and it was all secret and you know and uh and and then they gave me alcohol and then i had that and then i you know got kicked off the island for starting a fight and blah 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 and they loved it you know and like and they were going up against big brother you know like so the ratings just flew because no one had ever seen this it was a real reality this was not contrived like today it's love island where the director comes on and goes right you two need to be together maybe you should have a conversation and maybe just talk about this like we had no one we were just left on an island to do what the fuck we wanted there's your booze there's your fags get on with it you know that that's real reality so you know, but but they've they've obviously like it's it's I don't know what they call it now. It's a lot more like scripted or like a bit like I don't know. It's more contrived, you know. Yeah. Um, the only time they came on was the security to throw me to you know stop me from killing or us killing each other, like you know. But that was TV gold to them. That was unbelievable, and that's why when I came off the show, you know, there was lovers and haters of me. But my acting career was done. Like all those years of building up my acting career was fucking over because suddenly I'm this new big reality star that people just either can relate to with the booze thing, even though I wasn't an alcoholic, I just wanted my drugs. Mm -hmm. Or or it was, um, uh, what a twat, you know? But but I was offered show after show after show after show, and then offered to go back there the next year, but doubled the money, 
you know, and warnings, and, and you know, and I was just like, it was crazy, man. It was like, we've never seen anything like it. So was it the real me? Fuck knows. It was the sick me, but they loved the sick me, and they wanted to exploit it more and more. You know, and today, if you look at that, that's fucking illegal. It's fucking wrong, and people are dead from them carrying on doing that. And it's got to stop. You know, and that's why I'm doing a documentary at the moment to see what care there is, what what yeah. what what support and what um guidance and what what kind of health and and uh, what do they call it well being departments they have to to for these up and coming stars that they're hiring. You know, what, what are they putting in place to make sure that there's aftercare? Because I'll tell you what, the minute I came off that show, they didn't give a fuck when they found out I went to rehab. Not one phone call to say, you're all right, Paul. You know, and I'm not blaming them because at the end of the day, I have to own my part. I chose to go on there. My management let me go on there. Like, I, I have a massive part to play. I took those trucks. They didn't feed them to me. Yeah. But... There, there's, it's a 50-50 and it's, it's not about there now. It's about what do we do for the next man, for the next star, for the next up-and-coming artist so we don't have any more Caroline Flack deaths or, 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 or other deaths and, 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 and situations like me having to spend the next 20 years in rehabs. It's not fair. Yeah. But you know what I absolutely love? Um... You're obviously so much, you've stepped into your truth and you're actually using your voice on your platform now through your podcast and everything you do, your advocacy, to bring awareness to these things. Well, so, that's why I'm still alive. I think there was a reason, man, why I survived it all. Uh, to flip it on its head and use it as a positive. Mate, I'll tell you, I don't know, like, I, I always say I was the least spiritual person and going through my adversity. So mine was body dysmorphia. I got to a really bad stage and then I lost a friend. Yeah. But I know I mentioned right. a friend of mine, Jeremy Jackson who was sure. a very similar path. And he, Amazing story. he now uses his platform and he's, he's gone through spiritual and he said, maybe I went through that to be able to do, and he uses his platform exactly like you do and does everything yeah. in the campaign, but breath work, meditation, does retreats for people, helps people going through addiction. He's a, he's a sponsor. Amazing. What, what would you say to anybody like with this global audience that you've learned throughout it all if there's somebody struggling, because one of the things with my podcast I want to do is it's a constant work. Some things might not work, but listen to someone else's story and see what works for you. So out of everything you've gone through and everything you've learned, what would be the best piece of advice you reckon you'd either give yourself looking back or somebody listening? I think, um, you know, the opposite to addiction is connection. And I always crave to feel part of. So it's all about connecting to others that understand that were similar to me. You know, the thing is, I was attracting people that kind of liked the things I liked, and that naughty side of me attracted naughty people. And but also like in relationships, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it's you know, and I get that. I don't regret anything, and I don't regret any of that. But like now I connect to people that are well and that are or that are that have gone through stuff and that are um you know, not afraid to talk about their pain and talk about their stuff and talk about, you know, how they you know, feel. And I, even my son who's five, I ask him, How do you feel? You know, like I never got that when I was a kid. How do you feel? You know, like, I think it's really important to ask someone how they feel. And, you know, usually people go fine. But, you know, the acronym for fine is fucked up, insecure, neurotic and emotional. Yeah. You know, and that's pretty much like how I felt when I was like, you know, you know when I'd say I was fine because I wasn't fine. I was no, how do you really feel? Actually, I, I feel a bit like sad today. I feel like I feel vulnerable right now. You know, it's the truth, you know, talking about this stuff is it's sad. It's it's but you know, the thing is it's like asking for help is the most important thing and I wish I would have asked for help earlier and I wish I would have actually told people how I really felt. Now I know people on here are gonna say, Well that's not easy. 
you know, to say, oh, please help me, I'm struggling. It's all that, that shame, that guilt, that, I, you know, I don't want them to know, I might lose my job, or, you know, that's going to make me look weak or whatever. But it's not, because there's so many others that are dying to to to... to to, to say how they feel, but they can't sue. And I think the more we ask for help and say how we feel, the more it's contagious. And the more like people will start to like, go, you know what, man? Because it, it does the opposite to what your head tells you. It actually shows strength. Yeah. It shows, it shows uh, 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 courage. Uh, courage. Um, it shows, shows that, you know, you, that, you're human, like, you know, and, and and I think, you know, it's really, there's a lot of help out there now. And I think mental health is really, like, like much broader now. And I think, you know, pride and ego can kill, you know. And, and I think it's just so important to ask for help. And even if it's like you don't want to go to certain people, there's people like me and you that would listen. There's lots of places that, that will listen, you know, getting therapy or and, and going to meetings with other like-minded people has been like it's been invaluable you know like it stopped me from going backwards being able to phone someone up and say listen man i'm really struggling rather than phoning the dealer you know so like i don't know if that makes any sense but it does yeah because i think i've, I've just got two more questions for you because i know it's your evening there um but it, it's the same thing there it's like what I, I try to do, and you're doing it as well with your podcast, is the oldest form of communication is storytelling. You're sharing stories with each other, which creates a commonality. And exactly. it breaks barriers down. It, it, there's no title. There's no profession. It's just the raw human form, and we all experience emotions. So I suppose, attesting to the campaign being called Imperfectly Perfect, what yeah. would you say being imperfectly perfect means to you, Paul? It's a tough one because, um, you know, like there's, I've got scars and wounds and lately, you know, I'm not happy with like the fact that I eat a bit, maybe I don't even eat that much, but sometimes I want a blooming cake. Some of my therapists sent me something before back to what Charlie Chaplin said. And he said like, um, what was it? The opposite was if you spell dessert backwards, dessert um it's uh what is it god i wish i could look right now can i look yeah sure what, hold on let me just let me just look no no, no it's i've got it on a message because it only just sent me it and um <laughs> it's really funny because uh life is to enjoy without with whatever you have with uh with whatever you have with you, keep smiling. If you feel stressed, give yourself a break. Enjoy some ice cream, chocolates, candy, cake. Why? Because stressed backwards, the spelling is desserts. <laughs> stressed. Yeah. So the like, and you know, and the thing is, like, and then I look at my stomach, and I go, oh my god, because you know, I'm not getting any young. I'm 42, and it's like, flipping out. I never used to have a bit of a belly. So like, but you know what? Like, it's all right. It's okay to be imperfectly perfect. Like, it's okay to have a bit of a stomach because I know that it will go if I just eat less crap or I do a bit of exercise. Oh, I know you love the gym, you know, and that makes me feel great. And that's very good for ADHD, by the way, is exercise, you know, walking and like all the, 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 the training I'm doing, like, you know, weightlifting at the moment and tennis. I love tennis. I did that when I was a kid. You know, and it's so great because I'm concentrating on one thing I love and, and and it's also helping me, you know, get a bit more perfect. Even though I'm imperfect and I'm imperfect in lots of ways, but it's what makes me me. And, like, that's the – I think the ultimate goal is to be all right with myself, that self-worth and self-esteem. So, yeah, just, I don't know, man. Like, it's a tough question, but that's what your podcast is called. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Well, you see, yeah, it's, the answer is to you. Say, you said it there indirectly. It's like your imperfections are what make you perfect. Like, you are you. You're unique. Yeah. Own it, I suppose. And when you talk about have the cake, bloody eat the cake sometimes. <laughs> and it's, yeah. yeah. 
So I, I totally get that one as as you're aging and you're exactly, like... Exactly, because it makes me feel better for a, for a bit, you know, and I know that I'm not advertising, like, I'm just saying, like, do you know what, if it's just, yeah, why not? Have a, have a bit, you know, we can have a little little bit here and there, you know, because we deserve it. And, and, like, feeling stressed is not a good thing. Like, stress is, the, is a really big killer, man. Yeah. Like, stress is what causes all this shit. Yeah. Well, I think... I, I do, when I was going through through my body dysmorphia at a stage, it was I I went from like three four minutes looking in the mirror to like three to four hours. It was just taking over. But the thing with right. stress is, as soon as you start stressing on your appearance, you release cortisol, which holds on right. to the water, and then you're feeling blah all the time. And then it's this perpetual cycle of going. So you really have to work on getting that stress down, and that is. Mm. man to go into body image and all stuff like that mm. I mean, well, even my friend you know recently like just as a joke in the car said yeah man because you you are a bit fat oh man like he he was laughing joking, like, i was like that ain't funny mm. like that at the moment to me is really painful to hear now he was i know he's only joking i am really like but it, it it can it can affect me like and and like it's because as you said I've started to put it in my head, yeah. Because that is there and it's like and you will understand this, you know. So what am I gonna do? Like like so tonight I thought right that's it no more potatoes no more you know and that's good like to but I don't want to like but then there's the other side my therapist sending me going you know what have a bit of cake. Like, yeah. so it's really like mixed signals, like what I'm telling myself and what, you know, so it's, it's kind of like that, that ultimate thing of like getting that middle, that balance. It's so hard though, isn't it? When, uh, like you say, a mate just says something off the cuff and means yeah. not buy it as a joke and a jab, but <laughs> what we put in there is two different mm. things. But I mean, I wear black. I never used to wear black, but this is the thing. I've, I've ended up being one of those people. <laughs> you know, wearing black, you know, so because it makes you look less. It's that's that's serious. Yeah, that's when it gets to that stage. And I mean, my my worry now is obviously why I'm trying to create a legacy and why you're obviously doing your podcast. We get our kids to listen to this, so they don't ever go through this. Mm. Like, because social media is just getting who's constant. It's it, and these filters where people are putting across. I was reading this morning. Um, the amazing actress Jamil Jamal had put this thing on her page and it was basically showing these new filters and she showed herself natural and then put this filter across. What did it look like? Oh, it looked like a, almost like a cartoon character, but the stats are showing yeah, right. that kids these days are actually going to plastic surgeons because they want to look like this, which wow. is sustainable. So she was just pointing it out, which is, I, I love that. Yeah, it's, it's and, and the thing is, it's like when we're told, it's like especially girls, like when they're kids, and you know, like, oh, you're getting a bit fat, like that. The parents don't realize how detrimental that is, how how much of an impact that can have. That's why I will never tell my son, oh, you know, like that, those words, like because that really is like we we look at our parents like they are our heroes, like, and if we hear that from them, or our mentors, or like that, we're gonna that can stay with us. So it's really important that we don't do that. Mate, well, I just want to say I've thoroughly enjoyed this chat. I mean, to be so or and honest, I, I love these hard conversations. But where can people find you and what are some of the projects you're working on at the moment? And tell us more okay. about that. Well, there's a couple of projects that, like, I don't, you know, half of me really wants to tell you. And then the other side is like, if I do, then I like someone's going to nick it or something like that. But like, you know, I know like can't people know me. I don't give a shit. Like, so at the end of the day, um, you can find me um, uh, on Twitter at Paulie Danan, P-A-U-L-Y-D-A-N-A-N. Um, you can find me on Instagram, but at the moment I've been hacked and that's a whole nother story. So at the moment, bear with me, people on Instagram, uh, the geezer's getting thrown off some Bitcoin seller. So if he's messaging you, then just ignore it. But it's at Paul Danan. But my, my Instagram parody account, which is doing really well and it's kind of really critically acclaimed um it's is called at Paul Danan official um Paul Danan underscore Paul underscore Danan underscore official is Dananagram and it's looking at all people in the 90s and the noughties the people that I used to hang out with and um there's some really amazing stuff underneath you'd love it Matt like like you should check it like, yesterday it, I saw some pictures and I was like looking at them I'm going 
have some of these people seen their images back in the day? They'd be like, take that down, Paul. <laughs> I know, I know, but it's the writing. It's, it's, yeah, Glenn, it's, it's really powerful stuff. But it's, it's all jokes, you know. Um, and, um, and, and basically, you know, so I run a, um, a, a theatre company called The Morning After Theatre Company for people with mental health and people in recovery. Um, and it's... Um, Every week on Zoom, um, you can go to the Facebook page, 5 till 6 p.m., and um, soon it's going to be face-to-face, and that's me kind of giving back. It's all free, um, and it's for anyone that wants to be creative and that is uh, has mental health and um, addiction problems that is in recovery or get becoming to get in recovery and wants to be creative. You can, you know, I'm there, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching, and, but yeah, it's really fun. The, the projects that I've got, basically, I won't go on, but like one is that documentary I mentioned to help the up and coming star that, that, that really needs direction and, and a bit of kind of, you know, help if they're struggling around fame and tabloids and a, a newfound, you know, like kind of in the public eye, like, you know, suddenly, you know, pole vaulted into this, uh, this world that we live in that suddenly like, you know, um, uh, trolls etc you know and it, it can be damaging so there's guidance there and i want to kind of help people through that with this documentary and my big baby is called the urge and it's basically like a netflix series that is um uh about rehab it's like one flew over the cuckoo's nest stroke orange is the new black but rehab and it's really interesting so look out for the urge um but yeah like thank and obviously guys you know the morning after is my podcast on all podcast platforms and that for me is like my baby where i you will carry on you'll hear me speak like this mate (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) it's like i'm very much like you where it's like you just you want to tell people because you get so excited about your projects and then you've got people behind you going no, don't say it too quick because then someone will jump. <laughs> so yeah, get it, but, you know, I, I, there's so many of me that I just think, you know what, I'm proud of it all. Yeah, and you yeah. should be, mate. You're doing some, some great work. So, again, on behalf of the audience, on behalf of me, I just want to thank you, mate. So, please remember, you guys, um, I'm going to put all the links up to Paul so you can find him, you can find his podcast and all his latest projects. Just make sure to keep having the hard conversations because it's the hard conversations that save lives, guys. Remember to subscribe, like, and share this podcast episode and all episodes on Spotify or iHeartRadio for the Imperfectly Perfect podcast. To find out more about the Imperfectly Perfect campaign and how you can get involved, simply head to our official website at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org or email us today at info at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org to speak to one of the team. The Imperfectly Perfect campaign is creating awareness and is not a substitute for professional advice. Should you need help, please refer to your nearest crisis number.